0: Also, zinc is very important for the production of testosterone. Vitamin D is very important for the production of testosterone. Uh, you want to not be overdoing refined carbohydrates. You you do not want to eat a low-carb, high-protein diet because this actually reduces testosterone. So you want your diet to be varied. You want it to have enough carbohydrates. You want it to have enough healthy fats And then it shouldn't be a problem at all in terms of of, uh, the production
1: of the tech Welcome to the third episode of Chickpea Powered, the podcast dedicated to vegan athletes and entrepreneurs who want to change the world. Hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast.
0: The biggest misunderstanding about people who glow is that they started like everyone else. However, with time and effort, they've developed time-proven lifestyle strategies to sustainable longevity and have been reaping the benefits of glowing skin, limitless energy, and an effortless lean body since. By listening to Chickpea Powered, you hear about their transformations and acquire the guidelines they use instantly, so you too can live without limits. Here's your host, Oliver Zurgis.
1: Yo, thank you so much for tuning in to the third episode of Chickpea Power. Listen, I'm so excited for you to be here. I'm so grateful for you to tune in with me. And I can't believe how amazing it is to have Dr. Brenda Davis with us today. She is essentially the pioneer of the vegan movement. She has contributed to the national vegan nutritional guidelines that you know of today. She has created them from scratch. Essentially, she was vegan before being vegan was cool and went through tremendous pressure. I don't want to tell too much about that story because she's done a wonderful job of explaining it herself. All I want you to let you know is that she's going to talk about how exactly you can stay deficiency free effortlessly so that you don't have to go looking for it anymore. You don't have to go through tons of YouTube videos to not find one thing about it and how exactly you can import incorporate fats into your diet to optimize your testosterone levels. Now, before we get into this amazing interview, I just wanted to let you know, keep a heads up for today's superfood of the week break. I'm going to be giving away five bottles of Vega protein powder to five lucky winners. And I know this will bring tremendous value to you athletes out there. Stay tuned on exactly how you could win this offer during the break. Now I want you to go take a walk, go enjoy this interview, do what you have to do, and stay awesome. So. Could you just tell me a bit about why you turned toward veganism and what was really your aha moment?
0: Yeah, well, I am, you know, I'm a registered dietitian and I I became a, a registered dietitian. I went to school in the late 70s, early 80s. And back then in university, all we learned about vegetarian even was that, you know, it was kind of risky and we learned that vegan was just plain downright dangerous. So it was... It was not exactly something that was encouraged, uh, uh, by my, you know, by my education or my profession. And, and so for me, uh, what I, what I, I ended up, uh, in public health, actually, I was a public con- sort of community nutritionist. And, and of course everything, you know, Canada's food guide, everything, uh, was directed towards an omnivorous diet, uh, all of our nutrition education materials. But I found myself gravitating more and more towards plant-based simply because it seemed to make so much sense for me to eat more plant foods because they they were the foods we knew were the most protective, the fruits and vegetables and legumes and whole grains and nuts and seeds and so forth. So I was gravitating in that direction, but what actually was my aha moment <laughs> uh, was a little bit surprising. Um uh, my aha moment was uh I was sitting at home in northern Ontario. Um, uh and a friend of ours uh was on his way hunting, deer hunting actually. Uh said I you know I'm going to stop by for a few minutes on my way and I said sure no problem I'll put the coffee on. And and so he dropped by and and I thought to myself as he was driving to my place how can I stop him from shooting another deer? And, and I just was feeling badly for the deer. And so I, I, I had a conversation with him about it. And I, I said to him, you know, I, I, I don't get why you do this. It just, it seems not fair somehow to these poor animals that just want to live. And, and I, you know, we got into this big conversation and it was his response to me that actually changed the course of my life. Cause he said, you know, just because you don't have the guts to pull the trigger does not mean you are not responsible for the trigger being pulled every time you buy your piece of meat, camouflage and cellophane in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, he said, at least the animals I eat have had a life. You should take a look at, you know, the life that yours have. And so that kind of, it, it just, Silenced me. I had no response. It, it it was the first time anyone had ever said, "Take responsibility for what you're buying out of the grocery store," and and i would never thought about it in that way before. But I remember growing up. I was the kid that would pick the worms off the sidewalk so they wouldn't dry up after the rain, or you know, I, I you know I, I I loved animals, and I, and I realized that I had become disconnected from that. And so I decided to start to do a little bit of research into animal agriculture. And I ordered animal agriculture journals and magazines and I read a few books. Um, and I just, when I realized that the life on the farm for animals was not the way that, that we're uh, conditioned to believe it is uh, from storybooks in our childhood, that it's gone more and more towards um, a a sort of a a factory, we call it concentrated animal feeding operations, but we treat animals like commodity units. And for me, um, I couldn't justify doing that. I couldn't justify being a part of a system of cruelty, that, to the extent of cruelty that our system is. And I just... uh, So I thought to myself, I'm a dietitian. I can put together a diet that doesn't cause, uh, horrible environmental destruction, horrible pain, suffering, and death for other living beings. And so I just thought I'm done. Uh, I was really scared though, Oliver, because I, I, you know, I didn't know if I could continue being a dietitian. We're talking, you know, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know if there were other vegan dietitians on the planet. I didn't know if My, you know, my uh, organizations that I belong to would would just sort of oust me and say, well, you can't be a dietitian if you're not promoting dairy and meat and all of that (laughs) stuff. But I, you know, but I decided at that point that I had, that I really did a lot of soul searching. And I thought, if if everybody who understands what I'm beginning to understand just leaves the profession, nothing will ever change. And I thought I have to have the courage to stand up and help people who want to do this. For whatever reason, people that want to go on this path, I have the skills to help them do that properly. And, and I can help to educate my, my peers as well. And so I, that was the route, route I ended up taking.
1: <laughs> wow. So you were among the first that actually put the label on veganism.
0: I, I would say so. I mean, there definitely were a few uh, a few dietitians before me, but not, you know, just that uh, you could count on one hand, for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Wow. So, you were surrounded by people that were saying and telling you that you had to have dairy, you had to have your eggs and meat, and so... When oh, were, absolutely. Yeah. So, when you were absolutely. building this this diet and all the guidelines, how did you go about it? How did you know... What foods would be able to complement a whole and nutritious diet
0: well it was it was quite a lot of fun you know uh, first of all, in nineteen ninety two I made a decision with a couple of friends who were on the same path that we would write a book about on this topic and and so we had to start researching and And to make guidelines, for example, to make the guidelines for essential fatty acids, well, there weren't any uh, for vegetarians. And so I contacted the people who created the national guidelines and said, okay, here's what I'm thinking. Do you think this is reasonable for people who are not eating fish? And so I had the discussions with, who, you know, the leading researchers sort of in the world, and we did the same for protein, we did the same for calcium. We really, uh, uh we made the phone calls to to the leading researchers and, and had these discussions. And so, and of course, it was a lot of, you know, math. You, you have to do the math and figure out, okay, how does someone, what we tried to do was ensure that, that, that whoever was following this kind of pattern would meet the recommended intakes for all of the nutrients. And so we worked from there. And it was interesting because for essential fatty acids, Canada actually had recommendations. The United States didn't have recommendations yet. Hmm. So when we, when we made our recommendations for omega 3 fatty acids and omega 6 fatty acids, well, the dietitians in the United States Thought we were, you know, what are they talking about? Because they didn't even have any recommendations yet. <laughs> so there, there, there were some interesting things that happened. And then when we wrote our first book, we actually had it. It was called Becoming Vegetarian, and we had a whole chapter called Without Dairy. And so it was how to, if you know, create a diet that works without using any dairy products. And the dairy industry uh went ballistic they it was the first time that they had ever heard heard a dietitian, a registered or registered dietitian, say that you could survive without house milk and it scared them (laughs) and so they they actually wrote a 45 page rebuttal to our book and made it available free of charge to every health professional in canada and then they took out a full page ad in our professional journal to uh try to discredit us. So it was really quite something. And then well it well what I mean it just freaked us right out. But 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 then I realized this is actually a really good thing because they recognize that there this is a you know not a fringy threat. This is this is coming from Main's you know, diet, registered dietitians, and so it, it worried them tremendously. But, but what ended up happening over time is this past year, Vasanto Molina, my writing partner, we've written several of the books I've written, have been written with her. Uh, she, I nominated her, along with a couple of other dietitians, for the highest award from Dietitians of Canada. The 76 years old now, and we just felt like the culmination of her career, she deserves this kind of recognition. And she won this, a huge award, which is, uh, you know, doing the keynote address at Dietitians of Canada annual conference. And at the end of that, um, presentation, one of the people responsible for allowing that ad to go in our professional journal that was trying to discredit us, you know, almost 30 years ago or whatever it was, um, actually apologized and said it was really not the right decision to make. And I'm really sorry it happened. So, it, you know, it's just amazing because 30 years ago we were sort of under fire. And, and after many years of hard work, uh, we're not only accepted in the profession, but we're viewed as pioneers and leaders, and it's it's just really encouraging. And it's encouraging for young uh, people who are wanting to go into this field of nutrition that there's a place for them, and uh, and and they're needed, really needed. The more, the merrier. People that are on the plant-based wavelength of uh, just if you're interested in dietetics, just do it.
1: Yo, perfect. Okay, as promised, you head out to chickpea.power.com, and your email and your name within 30 days. You have 30 days to complete the challenge. I will pick five lucky winners from all the people who put in their email and their name and I will send them each a Vega protein powder of their choice. Personally, I love Vega. it's a protein powder that I choose because it's affordable, it's filled with probiotics, so you absorb the protein better and it has a complete amino acid profile. I just love what they do and that's what I stand for. This is not an affiliate link, this is just me giving away what I take and just sharing it with you. Also I want to invite you to go head out to the Gusta Cheeses if you're in Montreal and you haven't checked out. Roosted Cheeses, you're missing out. They make the best vegan cheese I have ever tasted. They're in Montreal, they're local at Marché Jean Talon. I will pop everything you need to know in the description down below. And without further ado, I just want to bring you love, and I'm just rambling, but it's alright. So head out on chickypowered.com and go get your protein powder. So you mentioned your, your book. What's it called?
0: Uh, well, I've written nine books. And so the, uh, the first book was Becoming Vegetarian, and then we did a new Becoming Vegetarian. I did uh, Defeating Diabetes, and then we did Becoming, uh, Raw, because, well, we did first Becoming Vegan, which was a kind of a classic in 2003, then Becoming Raw, The Raw Food Revolution, and then we did uh, the last two books, were uh, Becoming Vegan Express and Becoming Vegan Comprehensive Edition. So the Comprehensive is a 600-page book and the Express Edition is a 300-page book. And so these books are really um the guidebooks. So if, if you want to do a vegan diet uh, or even just a plant-based where, you know, you're not completely vegan, these these books provide everything you need to know about every nutrient, Every stage of the life cycle: pregnancy, lactation, infancy, childhood, being a senior, and vegan uh, athletes, uh, underweight, overweight, eating disorders. It kind of, it, it they're just comprehensive uh, books that will help you to answer every question you have about plant-based nutrition.
1: Uh huh. And also, probably in the books, you also put in the hurdles you tried to jump that were a bit hard for you to overcome during your transition.
0: Yeah, well, for, for us, uh, we don't go into, to our own personal journey so much, but definitely do address challenges for people that are making this journey, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: What are the main challenges you see?
0: Well, you know, the main challenges I see are just, there, there are a lot of myths about, uh, you know, about being vegan, for example, some people, I uh, think that you know vegan diets are really risky, especially for children, especially for you know if you're in your growing years or for pregnant women and so on. and And so the one thing that I would tell everyone, if they're facing that challenge, where they're getting people saying, Well, you can't do this because whatever it is, you're you know it's a small child you're feeding or uh, or you're pregnant or whatever. Um, there is um, a a document called the the Physician Paper on Vegetarian Diet by the Academy of of Nutrition and Dietetics. It's free online. And it is probably, I would say, the most important paper on, uh, on vegetarian and vegan nutrition for health professionals. And so it goes through, you know, the stages of the life cycle and the nutrients and so forth. And so it it, and, and basically what it states is that vegan diets are safe and adequate at every stage of the life cycle if they're appropriately planned. And here's how to appropriately plan them. Now, that's what our books do, but they're they're much, much longer and more detailed. Whereas this position paper, because it's the largest um, mainstream nutrition organization on the planet, their position papers are very... Um, uh, you know, reputable, they are accepted by medical organizations and used by many health organizations throughout the world. So this is something you could bring to your doctor and say, you know, here's um, the latest physician paper. And they would, I'm sure, appreciate that to, and and to get some guidance. Um, you know, and the other stumbling blocks, are I think a lot of people who become vegan. Become vegan because they're interested in animals and they love. They don't want to be uh, contributing to animal suffering. Some people become vegan because of ecological concerns and they just want to leave a softer footprint on the planet. Um, people that are are going vegan for reasons that are apart from health sometimes end up, you know, just eating vegan junk food. They're eating vegan fast food. They're eating. You know, all of the sort of regular foods, but vegan versions of those foods. And, and sometimes their diet won't necessarily be optimal. You know, chips and, and, and soda are, are vegan. <laughs> and so people can eat a lot of junk food and say, I'm vegan and, and they're not going to achieve optimal health and they can end up with nutritional deficiencies. And so it's really important that if you're If you're doing it for those reasons, what you need to realize is that you, you know, if you blow it and you end up sick or nutritionally deficient, you are exhibit number one for why people are justified in eating meat. You know, everybody's going to look at you and say, well, obviously, a vegan diet doesn't work. And so they'll say, you know, well, there we go. Obviously, we have to eat meat and drink milk. And so if you really want to stop animal suffering, you need to be a strong example of vegan. You need to make sure that you're healthy.
1: I think we've all heard a bit about peanut butter and jelly sandwich vegan. The one that just cuts out dairy, cuts out meat, cuts out eggs, and just ends up eating bread and peanut butter. And I think nobody ever said it better than you, or at least what i have heard.
0: Oh, well, thank you. And I, I just, I believe that so much. It's, you know, quite often you're the only vegan the people around you have ever met. You are, you know, uh-huh. basically vegan will be judged by what you look like, how energetic you are, how fit you are. Uh, you know, you, if you're a, a, a sickly vegan, you're, you're proof that everybody around you is justified in eating meat. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, and, 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 and I'm not trying to guilt people, but I think it's important that you, um, that you're response, you're a responsible vegan and that you make sure you're meeting your needs because, you know, you get one kid with a B12 deficiency who dies, you know, a baby who dies of, of B12 deficiency. And we see this, it happens. Um, it, you know, it sets us back 20 years because it hits the headlines. We don't see, you know when a when an omnivorous parent feeds their children, uh, you know, on on McDonald's burgers and soda pop, and the, the child gets, you know, whatever disease. We don't see the omnivorous diet being blamed for that, but we sure see the vegan diet being blamed. And the reason is, is that the vegan diet is still on trial in the eyes of the world. You know, we don't we don't have entire generations that have been born and died vegan, and so people are all eyes are on us and and so it's really important of not just I mean obviously for that child we don't ever want to see a child uh, die or become very ill because you know end up with irreversible brain damage because you know of a B12 deficiency for example we just need to educate ourselves well enough to make sure that that never happens because if you care about the animals if you care about the environment that's us that twenty years.
1: Mhm. And so, how can I, as a vegan, as a responsible vegan, make sure I'm on optimal health and I'm having all the adequate, nutritious
0: nutrition? Well, yeah. Well, that that's why we wrote the books. Is is that very reason? If you want an express, easy version, we've got the express edition of becoming vegan. If you want all the details and all the reference, we've got the comprehensive. But to put it in a, a nutshell, basically, you you want to make sure, so let's say just to give you some easy guidelines, you want to make sure that you're eating, um, you know, a wide variety of healthy foods. So you're including, you're not eating peanut butter and jelly uh, sandwiches uh, three meals a day. You're eating a variety of, of, of colorful whole plant foods. So you want to be eating... Um, you know, nine or ten at least servings of vegetables and fruits a day. You want to be eating probably about three servings of legumes. Uh, and and it doesn't all have to just be beans. It can be tofu or tempeh. It can be, you know, a veggie meat if, if you so desire. Uh, and then you want, you know, grains to me are what you vary according to your energy needs. So if you need a lot of calories, you're an athlete. You might be having 12 or 14 servings a day. If you're a senior lady who doesn't burn a lot of calories, you might be having three. So it varies according to your energy needs. And then you want at least one or two servings of nuts and seeds a day to get your essential fatty acids and so on. And then once you've done all of that and you're eating this wide variety of wonderful, colorful, whole plant foods, then you need to look at the nutrients you might not get enough of even if you do all of that. So the nutrients of concern are vitamin B12. If you eat fortified foods, you may get enough. So let's say you're eating veggie meats that are fortified with B12, cereals, uh, da- non-dairy uh, beverages that are fortified with B12. You may get enough vitamin B12. So you might need, you know, 10 milligrams or, you know, at least 4 milligrams from those sources in 2 or 3 servings throughout the day. But if you're not doing that, then you need to take a vitamin B12 supplement. And, and of course the other sources, nutritional yeast, uh, some of them are fortified, are sort of grown on a B12 medium, and so you can use that as well. But if you don't do that, then you want to be taking a thousand micrograms at least twice a week. And it's not, it's cheap, it's easy, and it covers you. What a lot of people don't realize is the National Institutes of Health, which set the recommendations for the United States and Canada both, Um, they they actually recommend that everyone over 50 years of age do the same thing, that you do not rely on meat and dairy for B12 because once you reach that age, the amount of uh, acid in your stomach and the production of enzymes um, sometimes isn't sufficient to cleave the B12 off of the protein it's bound to in animal foods. So so they recommend for everyone over 50, you rely on fortified foods and B12 supplements. So it's not just vegan. Uh, so I think that's important to know as well. And then the other thing uh, is vitamin D. And if you live in a climate where you get plenty of sunshine and you're exposed to the sunshine, uh, then you probably don't have to worry about it too much. But if you live in a climate like we who live in Canada or North, northern United States, a lot of people in Europe uh, where you don't, you know, aren't exposed to warm sunshine year-round. So in Canada, it's at least six months of the year. We don't make uh, any or very little vitamin D. So we need to have a supplement of vitamin D. And then iodine is one that is more of a concern in Europe than it is in, in Canada and the United States. The amount in food varies with the soil content. And so there are some soils in Europe that, that are quite poor in iodine. And so iodine... If you're using some seaweed, it's probably not an issue. Uh, but certainly, you know, if you're eating a very whole food di- diet and you're not using iodized salt, and you're not eating seaweed, then you need to think about your sources of iodine and maybe take this hmm
1: So then, if I, as vegan, I apply all these guidelines, I should obtain optimal health. Absolutely.
0: The only other thing that I would say you need to think about a little bit is, um, I I mean, certainly you need to think about all of the nutrients, the protein, iron, zinc, all of that stuff. But the other one that you may not get enough of doing what I said is omega-3 fatty acids. And so if your one or two servings of nuts and seeds don't include omega-3 rich seeds, then it could be a problem. So what you need to do there is include Chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, walnuts. These are sources of omega-3 fatty acids. And if your diet is really good, you should be able to convert those omega-3s into the longer chain omega-3s you get from fish and, and, uh, you know, these, yeah, a- a- eggs that where the chickens have been fed the, um flax seed or fish. So, so you'll get these, you know, you'll get to make these fats in your body. But if, you have hypertension or diabetes or you, you for whatever reason don't convert very well, there's another option. And the other option is a lot of people don't realize that fish actually don't make EPA and DHA, these long-chain omega-3s. They get them from plants at some point along the food chain. They're tiny little plants in the ocean called microalgae. And the microalgae is what makes EPA and DHA. So the, that's where the fish get them, but we can get them from there too. And what, you know, without raping the oceans, we can, we can actually culture DHA EPA rich microalgae and then, uh, and, and it, it's sold in supplement form and it's very available and it's not that expensive anymore. It used to be. It's not anymore. And you can take direct sources of these long chain omega threes, um, that way and it's probably, Not a bad idea to have, you know, one or two supplements a week, for example, just to kind of top up your levels.
1: Okay, so it's really not that hard. It's essentially, make sure you get adequate B12 from fortified sources or get a supplement. Yeah. Then make sure your food is colorful and varied and whole.
0: Yeah.
1: And then get enough sun, so exposure to sun, or get a vitamin D supplement if you're in Nordic countries like Canada and during the winter uh, the sun is not always out there. And, of course, make sure you get omega-3 fatty acids through nuts like walnuts, chia seeds, flax seeds, and hemp seeds.
0: Right. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) Because
1: I read your book. (laughs) And so then as an athlete, what are the benefits I – should expect to obtain once all these guidelines are in check?
0: well um, you know that the studies are interesting they, there's not a lot of studies and I think I think from what I've seen uh, a lot of people who switch over to a, a, a very healthy plant-based diet of course uh, that's that's the operative word it is a very healthy plant-based diet they actually see an increase in their endurance. And uh, so we see a lot of endurance athletes eating more plant-based because it improves their sort of glycogen stores and their ability just long duration for long duration, long endurance sports. And I think it's partly because their antioxidant status is better. Um, they, they their diet is naturally an anti-inflammatory diet, and so it's it, you know it's, it's beneficial in those ways. But but to be honest. If you look at the research, plant-based diets haven't been shown to be particularly detrimental or particularly beneficial to athletic performance from what I can see in the, in the literature. So I don't think people can expect to all of a sudden, you know, break all the records, although I do know people that that's happened for, where they've been stuck and they go plant-based and, uh, and their performance just improves dramatically. And I think it's because of those things. They have better glycogen stores. They have less inflammation. They have less oxidative stress. And so I think in some cases, and, and of course it would depend how bad your your omnivorous diet is. If you're eating a really good omnivorous diet, you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, and you're eating your whole grains and legumes and all of that with just a little bit of some sort of animal product mixed in, uh, you may not notice a huge difference. Uh, whereas someone who's eating a, a, sort of low carb, uh, high fat, high animal, you know, protein diet m- may notice quite a substantial difference. So, it, it really depends where you're coming from.
1: Mm-hmm. And the quality of the protein is still the same, if not better, between animal and plant?
0: Well, the, you know, I wouldn't say it's better. Um, uh, plant, uh, well, uh, actually, I would say the uh, that's a tough one. The, the quality of the protein is, there's not a lot of difference. The biggest difference between plant protein and animal protein is that plant protein is less digestible because <laughs> there's fiber there. And so, so it's about 10 to 15% less digestible than animal protein. And so you need to compensate for that. So let's say the average person needs 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight of, of uh, protein. If you're getting all your protein from plants, I would up it to about 0.9 or even 1 gram per kilogram body weight. Uh, so that, that's the biggest, you know, the biggest thing. If a lot of people claim that plant foods are missing essential amino acids, and they're actually not. Uh, all plant foods contain all essential amino acids. But, essential amino acids made by, are, uh, that, uh, you know, in plant foods can be slight, you know, slightly low. And so you need that mix of plant foods to make sure you're getting everything that you need. And that just happens naturally if you eat a variety of of foods. Now, the one thing a lot of people don't know is animals do not make essential uh, amino acids. Essential amino acids are all made by plants. Animals get them either directly or indirectly from plants. They get them directly like cows by eating grass. Or they get them indirectly, like a carnivorous animal that eats another animal that's eaten plants. So at some point along the food chain, the essential amino acids are made by plants. So it makes no sense to think we can't get them from plants. It's actually where they come from. So, so but but in terms of if we think about um, say a, a plant-rich protein versus an animal-rich protein, uh, so we're comparing. For example um, we're we're comparing meat to uh legumes. Uh it, there are big differences in the quality of the those foods. So um, for example uh the legumes provide phytochemicals and antioxidants and they provide tons of fiber. They have no cholesterol. They have very little fat. They 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 have very low levels of of pro-oxidants um, it you know it just goes on and on whereas meat um high levels of environmental contaminants a lot of saturated fat a lot of cholesterol um new 5gc which is a pro-inflammatory molecule carnitine which can get converted to tmao uh you know does meat doesn't support a very good healthy gut microbiome uh, being do. There is are just and it goes on and on and on and so there are many advantages from a nutritional perspective, to be getting your protein from plants, but the actual quality of the protein is—you know—that's a whole uh, different different argument.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're giving away something. You're giving, you're giving away protein assimilation for a better, whole-rounded
0: food. Exactly, and a healthier food, and one that will reduce your risk of disease and all of that. Uh, and and certainly the the digestibility issue is it's not a huge issue because we tend to get plenty of protein anyway, so if we digest ten or fifteen percent less, it's it's not a huge issue. It just means we need to eat a tiny bit more. That's all. Uh
1: huh. But then eating all those plants isn't that a lot of carbs? Is there not issue? Because I know a lot of people, at least that have done little to no research. Are concerned with having high amounts of carbs in their diet, and you, as a nutritionist or a dietitian, do you think there's an issue with that?
0: Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm so glad you asked that question because you know that we've kind of made carbs the bad guy of the decade in terms of nutrition, and uh-huh. and in in the in the general sort of population, people think carbs bad. Well, the reason for that is that probably 90% of the carbs that people eat in North America anyway, especially in the United States, are refined and processed. And so when you take a, a good healthy plant food and you remove everything of value to human health before you eat it, uh, it's not good. So not only, so let's say you take something like wheat and you, you remove the bran and the germ and you're left with this white flour stuff. You don't just eat the bowl of white flour. Uh, Before you eat it, you add fat and sugar and salt and all, you know, preservatives and colors and whatever to make the cookies and the cakes and the, you know, the breads and so on. And, and when your carbs come from these sources where you strip them of nutrients and you add a bunch of crap to them before you eat them, they are going to be harmful to health. And that's all there is to it. So, so, you know, what people they they label all carbohydrates with this big black brush just because it's all they know that that's the only you know the carbohydrates they're familiar with but when you get your carbohydrates from whole plant foods uh, it's a very different ballgame and and you know I there's something I look at and I call it the acid test but if you if you um, uh, look at the healthiest longest lived people in the world So we have a few ways of doing that. There's the blue zones, you know, John Robbins wrote a book called Healthy at 100 and looked at the Vilcabamans and the Abkhazians and the, you know, all of these, uh, all of these different, different groups. But the blue zones, if you look at the blue zones, Okinawa and, you know, Sardinia, Italy, the people in Icaria, Greece and, and Loma Linda, California and the Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, if you look at these people and you say, well, I wonder how many carbohydrates they eat. Well, the range is about 50% of calories to about 80% of calories. And these are the healthiest, longest-lived people on the planet. If carbohydrates were so bad for you, probably the healthiest, longest-lived people on the planet wouldn't be eating most of their calories from that source. They they wouldn't be the longest-lived people on the planet. So I think that that's, you know, kind of the answer. And so, so the thing about carbohydrates is they are very consistently associated with, with health when they come packaged with fiber and phytochemicals and antioxidants. And so when they come from whole foods. So instead of getting carbohydrates from white flour products and sugary drinks and all of these processed foods, we need to be getting our carbohydrates from Vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans and, and, you know, peas and all of these kinds of foods and nuts and seeds have a little bit, but whole plant foods.
1: Maybe one last question. Yeah. A lot of studies depict saturated fats as bad for you. Yeah. As plain bad for you. Though I saw a study recently that said it can increase your levels of testosterone. Okay. As an athlete, that's quite interesting for me because we know testosterone is the fat loss and muscle gaining hormone.
0: Okay, that's a really interesting question and it's definitely not an area that I have tremendous expertise with, but I'll, I'll tell you what I know. Basically, saturated fat we know is associated with increased risk of disease. It increases your risk of heart disease, it increases your risk of diabetes, uh, it may also increase your, your risk of some types of cancer. So, But the, a lot of the, saturated, the information on saturated fat and disease risk is associated with saturated fat coming from animal products. Now, the, the thing to know is that every food that contains fat contains a mix of saturated fat, monounsaturated fat, and polyunsaturated fat. So there's nothing in the plant world that contains fat that doesn't have saturated fat. So for example, all of the, maybe 14% of calories are from, uh, saturated fat. Uh, so yeah, there's saturated fat in, in all plant foods. So, so it, it's saturated, there's no question that testosterone is a hormone that is made from, you know, you need some fat to be able to build testosterone or any other of our hormones. And, and it is true that, um, Saturated fat is more strongly associated with uh, production of testosterone than polyunsaturated fat. Uh, Monounsaturated fat is kind of in between. It also promotes the formation of testosterone. So I think what people need to do is is balance. It's like the whole vitamin D thing where you have to balance your exposure to sun with your risk of skin cancer. Um, It's the same with with saturated fat. You want to balance your needs. And, you know, to produce enough hormones, but not to overdo it. So you're increasing your risk of disease. And so, in fact, there have been studies that have shown that that vegans actually, uh, their production of testosterone is actually quite good. Um, and, and so one of the things I think people need to be aware of is that, yes, you, you need a little bit of saturated fat, but you'll get that if you eat a good mixed uh, diet. So if you include some avocado and some nuts and seeds and, you know, some of these higher fat plant foods, it's really not a problem. You'll, you'll get probably six or seven, you know, maybe between four and seven percent of your calories from saturated fat, which I think is really very, very reasonable and will not increase your risk of disease. But what you need to understand too is it's not just about uh, saturated fat. And, and I guess people may be interested. Well, what percentage of calories should come from that and and I, I would say again, it varies according to your health risk and to your your um, uh, calorie needs. So if you are eating 4,000 calories a day, you can afford to eat a little more saturated fat than if you're eating, you know, 1,600 calories a day, obviously. So, but the other thing to note is that. Um, so I actually getting back to what I was saying. Uh, I would say probably for athletes, you want to be looking at, you know, 20% of calories from fat or slightly more, but make sure that the fat is coming from healthy sources. And also zinc is very important for the production of testosterone. Vitamin D is very important for the production of testosterone. Uh, you want to not be overdoing refined carbohydrates. You you do not want to eat a low-carb, high-protein diet because this actually reduces testosterone. So you want your diet to be varied. You want it to have enough carbohydrates. You want it to have enough healthy fats. And then it shouldn't be a problem at all in terms of, of uh, the production of testosterone.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. So how can people support what you do?
0: You know what? I, I would say mainly just to, to uh, get, be an informed vegan. Uh, I would love it if they, they would, uh, read these books. Um, you know, the express edition for the brief and the Com- becoming vegan comprehensive edition for those that want references and details. And and to get the copy of that um, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics position paper, share it, uh, inform people and never be shy about asking for a vegan option in a restaurant or a grocery store to just uh, make being vegan more mainstream, make it easier, make it fun, don't make it something, uh, try not to preach to people. I. I think it's really, really important that we just set an example of great health and great joy, and and to be, you know, a fun person to be around. You want it. You want to make this lifestyle appealing, uh, or you just chase people away. Um, and so, you know, I, I think those are things that you can do, and and do try to to support the community. And if there's an event in your community, get out there, uh, volunteer. Do what you can do to to get involved. And, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah.
1: Absolutely agree. Yo, if you made it this far, I just want to thank you so much for listening to the entire episode. You do not know how much that means to me. And... As Brenda Davis said, I'm going to link all her books, all her amazing content down in the description, wherever you can find more information on this podcast. And I just want to send you amazing vibes. You are an amazing person. Keep up what you do. You do not know how much you are helping, even if you're just beginning, you're sticking to yourself. You are helping so much, and I just want to thank you so much for being part of this community. Okay, I said thank you enough. Just peace. If you want to support the channel, please consider subscribing to me on Spotify, and stay tuned for new episodes every week.